and welcome back to another episode of the Real Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jacob O'Connor. Real Conversations is a podcast for those dedicated to doing hard things and living a meaningful life. This belief is perhaps best encapsulated by a quote from the great Teddy Roosevelt. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, nor where the doer of deeds could have done them better. No, the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena. With that being said, welcome back to another episode of Real Conversations. Rob, how are you doing today? Doing well. Is this my first episode on this or was I on an earlier one? So we did like John, you and me did a Dallas recap episode whenever we went to UFC. Okay. But yeah, this is the voice of Rob Gerlach, the executive director of tech transfer and commercialization at Wichita State. And he's got a long title. His job's kind of boring, but I brought him on for a couple specific reasons. And we're going to do our best to not make this episode boring. So just please bear with Rob here. I'll, I'll do my best to be entertaining. <laughs> No, Rob's been a good friend, and um, I'd call him a mentor over the last three years while I've been here at Wichita State. I'm concerned for you. I know, just a little bit. But if you're watching this, you can see all of the books that Rob has brought. Um, as you continue to listen, you'll hear a lot of the different topics that Rob talks about. He is one of the most well-educated, and I would say one of the fastest consumers of information and knowledge that I've met. I think that's what makes him so fascinating to me, is the rate of consumption that he picks things up and how quickly he can learn. So I think this episode, we're going to talk a lot about that. Okay. Um, I do want to start, though. We've been doing this taste testing with Slate. Did you did you listen to this Slate I episode? did listen to the Slate episode. I thought it was a very good episode. I'd never heard of Slate before that episode. Mm -hmm. And I had never heard of, I guess I'd heard of Super Coffee, but I had never taken the step to actually try Super Coffee until you had an episode not too long ago on with the, one of the brothers from Super Coffee. Yeah. And they mentioned that they were doing a Costco run or something like that. And I happen to be at Costco. I'm an avid Costco person. I love the the hot dogs and the pizza because it's super cheap. But anyway, so I was at Costco and I ran into Super Coffee. And when I, the the box, like not the people, the box was at the <laughs> store. And I decided to buy, purchase them. And I got to tell you, I'm kind of addicted to them now. I have one like every single day when I drive from Derby to Wichita to work. So I met the DeSicos, that's the Super Coffee Brothers, in like 2019. I had them on the podcast the first time. Um, I don't drink coffee personally. I'm not a caffeine person too much. Um, and so I like the brand. I like what they're doing. I like the lifestyle they promote. But that's why Slate was interesting to me because they have just like a chocolate milk, but they also have like a um, caffeinated version that might be similar to a Super Coffee. And so I really like the Slate product because I can drink a non-caffeinated version. It's better for you. Um, and so they were nice enough to send me some. Do you want to try one? Yeah, let's do one. Which one you want? So I'm going to do, let's do this one. Okay. The dark chocolate ultra filtered milk. Yeah. I want to try that one too. So do I get a pour or are you pouring? Um, this is very I'll, important to pour. I'll open you pour. Oh man. That's, that's a good sound. Very nervous about pouring this wrong. If you're not watching this on video, it'll be posted on YouTube and uh, Spotify. I highly recommend that you check out the video. It's way more entertaining. Now, I think you should record me pouring this. This is Instagram con content of me pouring this. Like You're right. Let's get the phone out real quick. And here. we got to slow-mo it. Wait, don't pour yet. No. And go. That looks like a professional to me. I do my best. All right, you try it first.
It's good. That was my exact same reaction because when you're put on the spot, you really don't know what to say. <laughs> well, you kind of like, no, no. If it was, if it was not good, I would say it's not good. It's good. Yeah, I know, but you can't really like find other words either. It's like, oh, it's creamy. It's rich. It's. I might like that better than the uh, classic chocolate. That's the one I had last time. Okay. No, it's, it's really good. I like it. Here's the thing. If I run into this in a store and I've already tasted it like this and I see it, I would say I'm more, I, I would purchase it. It's kind of like super coffee. Now that I ran into it in a store and I've tasted it a few times, I'm kind of hooked on it. And I'm like a very habitual person. I don't know. This is what I am. So like I eat the same perfect it's called perfect bar i eat the same perfect bars every day for breakfast and i drink my super coffee on my way to work so now that's part of the process like they're routined in so i'm just going to keep buying and and all of that so it's good so we've tried this now and uh i like it a lot if you want to try another one later we can but i want to get into a little bit more of your story um first i got to tell my story about milk though okay so <laughs> so my girlfriend Rachel is allergic to dairy. Right. So I had this wrong. In my head, she was lactose intolerant. But in reality, she's allergic to dairy. And so one day she sent me to the store to buy ice cream that she could have. And so oh no. <laughs> I'm going through. And I knew she couldn't have, in my head, lactose, not dairy. Mm -hmm. And so I knew it had to be a special kind of ice cream. So I go through all, I'm at, uh, I'm at Sprouts, I think. I'm at Sprouts. I go through all the different ice creams, and I find upon one that is lactose-free. And so immediately I'm like, okay, it's one of the more expensive ones, which makes it better. Uh, so like I assume that makes it a better product. I fall into that pitfall. I bring it home. I'm so excited to give it to her. <laughs> I hand her the ice cream, <laughs> and she goes, I can't even get it out because she looked at me and she goes, what the hell is this? <laughs> I said, it's the ice cream I bought for you. I got this kind for me. This is for you. She goes, it says the name brand is Dairy Full Ice Cream. <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah, but you can have it. And Like I'm trying to convince her she can have it. She goes, no, it's Dairy Full. <laughs> that means it has dairy. And so I kept like, being like, but it doesn't have lactose. And that's when it dawned on me, oh, shit, she's not lactose intolerant. She is allergic to dairy. So ever since that, I, I say that because the slate right here is lactose-free, but I don't believe, I'm fairly confident, Rachel would still not be able to have this because yeah. I think it's got dairy in it. Yeah, lactose is an intolerance for one specific thing, but dairy is like a much broader category. So she's kind of screwed in all aspects of... It was. It was not a good night. She did not get her ice cream. <laughs> I think I actually, to be fair, I think I ended up running to Dylan's and buying like Ben and Jerry's has a dairy free version. Did you return the other one or did you eat it? I think we ate it. I not we. I was gonna say I, I it's kind of the royal we there, really being me. Yeah, so I ate it. Yes, interesting. Anyway, slight aside, but that's my dairy story. I'm very glad you shared it, and I'm sure our listeners are too. <laughs> no, let's go back to. You in college, what were you getting a major in and why were things not going the way you wanted them to? What was kind of the change you made? Uh, I was getting a major in mechanical engineering. And I think I started getting worried that I was going to, I was just always really good with numbers. And so I started getting worrying that I was going to get into a 
a job long term that I didn't really like doing calculations or analysis. I, I was not like here. I, I feel like there's two types of engineers in the, the world. There's the real engineers, like the ones who they may not be able to pass Calc 2 and Calc 3 with flying colors, but like they really understand what's going on in the engineering aspect. That was not me. I'm the inverse. I don't know how a car to this day works, but give me a couple hours and I'll figure it out. But I was just really good at numbers. And so I started realizing, I don't think that's going to be something I want to do the rest of my life. And after, a you know, a you can't really have a midlife crisis when you're still in, in uh, undergrad. But after a brief crisis, contacted my dad and he suggested one of the options he threw out there was, hey, what about law school? I know some people that became patent attorneys and I had never really thought of law school, never never really heard. I mean, everyone's heard the term patent, but didn't really like understand what it was. And so I would say I, I looked into it for probably one night and decided that's the route we're going to go. And so I decided to go to law school. That's crazy. And so I grew up in the St. Louis area. And so one of the local basketball camps I'd always go to was the St. Louis University men's basketball camp. Um, and you ended up going. I, I did not go to any basketball camps my entire <laughs> life. Although there is an intramural game that recently occurred where I almost outscored Jacob. So it was a fluke that'll never happen again. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing to mention too. We pointed this out right off the bat. So Grant Johnson, who I've had the podcast twice, obviously John's been here for a bunch of episodes, and then now Rob, you're my third intramural teammate to have on the podcast. There we go. It's kind of interesting though because you know we're all in college and 19, 20, 21, 22, <laughs> and you're 33. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a failure to launch moment, but that's okay. Hey, you're finally peaking though. <laughs> anyway, so. What was your point? You went to St. Louis University. Yeah, you went to the basketball camp there. Yep. And so that's where you ended up going to law school, isn't yep. it? So I went to I I did I went to SLU Law. I ended up going to I would ended up going to SLU Law rather than Chicago Kent was the other law school I had seriously considered. And I think part of it was coming from Wichita, Kansas, going to Chicago was a much bigger city, and I really hadn't experienced that before. So St. Louis acted more as an intermediate big city, if you will. So that, that's kind of what helped decide the factor. So how was law school going when you got there? Um, so when I first got there, it was always weird a little bit because I, I don't really dress fancy or anything. And so I immediately like stuck out like all these other, all these other people, all these other kids are like well-dressed and here I am and I'm attempting to be in what I think is fashionable somewhere. <laughs> I'm wearing cargo shorts. Oh no. <laughs> I think I'm. Oh. I think I'm wearing like Sperry boats that do not match the cargo <laughs> shorts at all. And, um, but anyway, so then, then school starts one L year and I get my grades back from my first semester and I'm outside the top 20% in law school, which is not where I wanted to be sitting right uh, after that first semester. But I started to realize a few things like I was over hyping or over psyching myself, I guess is one issue I would say. And I wasn't being true to like what made me good in undergrad or how why I was able to get good grades in undergrad so I started to make some changes so I, I actually took less notes and I started to rely on other uh, classmates who were taking notes and who I had befriended and they were willing to share my notes with me what their notes with me and so I started really you gamified you gamified it a little bit I mean I guess you could say I gamified it a little bit but I really started paying attention and quit focusing on just trying to dictate everything that the professor said. And that made all the difference for me. I started to be able to issue spot better. Issue spotting is a big thing in law school. And I started to be able to issue spot better. And then 
everything else just kind of fell in place. So by the end of law school, I, I don't think I was in the top 5%. I was in the top 10%. I think it was just barely outside the top 5%. And that's kind of typically in law school where you are after your 1L year-ish is where you stay through all of it. I mean, that kind of locks you in almost. And I kind of, I moved up. And I think I moved up because I was able to revert back and get true to what made me good at things. So I was able to focus more. To make a 10 to 15% jump though, I mean, you said that after the first year, you're usually pretty locked in. I mean, how crazy is that? Yeah, I was, I was very happy to keep seeing myself climb and to start to understand. I guess you're right. I started to understand the game a little bit more of what law school was. And that's something that you you were mentioning earlier on. I, I've been trying to learn in my life how to pick up on things better and more quickly and and understand the game that we're playing because in reality, everything, including life to me, I don't know if this is right or wrong, but in my head, everything's a game. And Mm -hmm. so it's all about figuring out the way to play the game correctly. I have not figured that out with basketball yet, but (laughs) with other things, I've started to figure it out a little bit. And so I think I was just able to figure out the game at law school and it helped me move up. So it's kind of crazy from my outside perspective. Um, I worked for you my freshman year of college I thankfully don't do that anymore, but (laughs) I was surrounded by you. And what was fascinating, and I started off with this, was the rate of information that you consume, but it's also your work ethic. Like you don't stop working. Like everything has to be, in my mind, at least whenever I think about you, everything you do is in pursuant of one or another goal that you have. Yeah, that's that's true. It's it's a curse and a blessing, I guess. Um, Like every day, I mean, when I go through my like, if I think through my agenda of the day, like typically I wake up, I immediately start listening to some form of a podcast. Real uh, conversations, probably. Yeah, real conversations, obviously. <laughs> uh, but I listen to a certain, and we can go through podcasts I listen to later, but I listen to a podcast as I'm like, you know, getting ready for the day, whether it's showering or brushing teeth and all that. And then depending upon the day, some days I have to drive my son to school. Other days I don't. On the days I'm driving him to school, we actually found podcasts that the two of us like. He really likes Guy Raz is how I built this. Really? Like we had to strategically choose the episodes that he likes inside of it. If it's something that somehow relates to him, he finds it interesting. So like Mm -hmm. Chipotle, that episode, he found it interesting and intriguing. Uh, Did you do the Dude Perfect episode? We have not done the Dude Perfect. I don't think he knows who Dude Perfect is yet, though. When I grew up, it was all Dude Perfect. He really likes... He's kind of moving on on YouTube a little bit. We're trying to keep him off of YouTube, actually. (laughs) I guess the proper way of saying it. But for a while, he got into Ryan's world and a few other things on YouTube. Uh, There was this other one. And watching Minecraft. And I don't... I don't know why people... I, I, For the life of me, I don't get it. But enough independent kids I've seen and watched, there's clearly something there. Like, something in these children's brain that gravitates them towards wanting to watch someone else play a game and narrate it in a certain way, which is also kind of the whole scary thing about some of these YouTube things. But anyway, so, you know, I get up in the morning, I'm listening to a podcast, I'm driving, I'm listening to a podcast, I get to work, I'm trying to, you know, catch up on emails and do other things related to to work. But almost all of my podcasts somehow relate to the idea or the pursuit of entrepreneurship or startup or or moving a product to maturity or something like that, which all kind of ties into my work. And then when I leave work, I drive home, I listen to a podcast. I then, I read a lot. So I'll read in the evening. Um, sometimes I read while in the bathtub, which drives <laughs> which drives uh, my girlfriend nuts because she's like, you literally tie up the bathroom for like 
many, many hours just <laughs> sitting in a bathtub reading. But it's, I don't know, it makes me happy. So I kind of focus on that. Well, and to further that point, these books here, they're not just arbitrary books. These are ones that you've read and that you actually brought for this that you want to talk a little bit about. Yes, because Rachel always says, I, I can't buy any more books. And so I think if I show that I'm putting them to good use, which I don't know if putting them on a podcast <laughs> on Real Conversations is to good use, but I'm going to at least put that in the category of how I'm going to try to argue this later with her. Um, but yeah, so I've read all these. I, I brought quite a selection. Um, I'll say it's interesting because... Some of them are about like specific writers. Like obviously I have one here. Jay Perini wrote a book on John Steinbeck. And I think if you would have told the high school version of me that I would later willingly read a book on John Steinbeck, I think the high school version of me would have kicked my own ass because like we did everything we could not to have to read <laughs> the grapes of wrath. Like we'd go to pink monkey or whatever, name your site where they used to like have all the chapters broken down. You could pull out the themes and like, there's no way the teachers didn't know that we were doing this because I never did that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, no, I'm serious. I'm serious. Well, for me, there's no way the teacher didn't know I was doing this because I'm not smart enough to be coming up with some <laughs> of the themes and philosophies I'm pulling out of these books because I haven't lived enough of my life to tr truly understand some of the themes we're pulling out in, in Grapes of Wrath. But anyway, so one's on John, John Steinbeck. That's a, a really interesting book. Then I have one on Becoming Dr. Seuss. Theodore Geisel, obviously, is Dr. Seuss. But this whole book like was phenomenal and really fascinating. And what you start to realize when read any book like here's one on robin williams which was also really good um you start to realize these people that are successful in their own individual areas whether it's being writing or actors they're still and they they some of them may make lots of money but they're still normal human beings from the standpoint of they still have the emotional feelings that we all kind of go through and have to work through and so i found it i would say and i don't know if inspiring i i found it like comforting to know that regardless of whether where you are in your life and how successful you are that you this most successful person still experiences the psychological drama of life as someone who's not in that same position so i found it interesting yeah one of the things that whenever i used to interview people i get intimidated and my dad used to tell me you know jacob no matter who you're interviewing they put their pants on the same way you do when my I grandpa used to use that same saying uh Yes. He sees that exact same saying. They put their pants on one leg at a time. Yep. He had a whole bunch of other sayings that we can't say here. But yes, that was also one of his. Yeah. I, I would. One thing I want to say about that point that you make, too, is what's crazy to me is we view some of these books, some of these different works of art as such as art. And we view them as wildly successful, incredibly popular. But what is mind boggling to me is that that may not have been the case while they were alive. Like yeah. a lot of these authors and artists died thinking maybe their life was a failure or wondering why didn't this work out? This is such a wonderful piece of art. A hundred years later, it's worth millions of dollars or it's a best-selling book or that's just a crazy concept to me. Yeah. I think the other thing that's interesting, like, so I read this book on John Steinbeck, like I said earlier, I would have done anything to avoid reading John Steinbeck. Then I go back and read Of Mice and Men, which I don't know if I actually, I do not recall reading it in high school, but I find that hard to believe I'd never read it in high school. But like when I go back and read it, I feel like I have a deeper understanding for the book, knowing the person behind the book and who wrote it and what that person's life was and what they went through. And I can see certain themes that I don't know if I didn't know that background, I'd otherwise be able to see. So 
And I don't really typically, I guess we should say this since we're talking about reading. I don't read fiction very often. Every now and then I'll read a fiction book. Like I read, uh, oh, I recently read Pebble in the Sky by Isaac Asimov. Isaac Asimov, obviously a great sci-fi writer. The Fold in Our Stars. I've never read the book, The Fault in Our Stars. Oh, you haven't? I've never read the book, but the movie <laughs> is one of my, I have a few go-to movies that like I watch on repeat and Fault in Our Stars is one of them. And the other one is Crazy Stupid Love, which, you know, no matter how many times you watch that is the best rom-com ever. It it can never be dethroned. The uh, the pairing of, oh, why can I not remember their names? Rob, who's the main two guys? In what? Uh, Crazy Stupid Love. Oh, Steve Carell. Steve Carell and um, Ryan Gosling. Ryan right? Gosling. The pairing of them, they matched up so well. Like the chemistry was incredible. Yeah, it was it was really good. I <laughs> So you watched the start of that movie because I watched it last night, <laughs> which is problematic. But anyway, you watched the start of that movie and the very first scene where like all the fancy, everybody's wearing all the fancy shoes on the table. And then it pans to Steve Carell, mm-hmm. his character and his wife. And obviously she's about to tell him she wants to get a divorce, but you see their feet and he's wearing new balances. <laughs> and there, there was a brief moment yesterday when I thought, Oh crap, I'm that dude. Cause like, I don't dress up for anything. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm the guy not wearing fashionable clothing in any way, shape, or form. But I'm all right with that. I'm comfortable in my own skin with that. You need to find your Ryan Gosling. <laughs> <laughs> I need to find my Ryan Gosling. Okay, back to the books. What are some other ones that you'd recommend or that you've liked that have interesting stories here? Yeah, so it depends on what type of books people are into and what they're looking for. So I brought the four-hour work week because this is going to be a controversial take. I don't like this book. I, I I don't have a problem with Tim Ferriss. I listen to his podcast. I mean, you got to set aside four hours of your life to listen to his podcast because of how long they are. But I'm all right with that. Like he's earned my respect for me to be willing to do that. Okay. But the book, I don't know why to me, it just throws a whole bunch of, I'm going to say gobbledygook out there and expects you to pick up on it and find a way to utilize it. And is there valuable information in this book? Undoubtedly, there's valuable information in the book. But like, when you put so much valuable information, like fact after fact or idea after idea without weaving it together in any way, I don't, maybe it's just me. When I read a book, I can't retain enough of that information for it to be of value to me. And that's something I struggle with, like with books, like I love reading. I have, I may have like ADHD problems too. So like, it's hard for me to really sit and read sometimes. Like I get, I get, as I'm reading a book, I start getting so excited and my mind starts racing. And I realize I'm like not reading the pages anymore, although I'm thinking about what I'm reading. It's it's weird. But I don't write in my books. I don't underline anything in my books. So I'm always very jealous of people like uh, David Senra, who mm-hmm. does the Founders Podcast. Oh, it's phenomenal. He's one of the best. Like That is a must podcast. I I don't pay for anything in my life because I am a very big cheapskate. Like, I had super coffee. So I had super coffee, but I'm just such a big cheapskate. So I don't pay for things, but that was like the one podcast I was willing to pay for the founders podcast, because all he does is he read books and he breaks them down and he is so damn good at it. Like in the way he weaves it together and he'll be talking about one book and all of a sudden he'll pull a similar point from a book he read like 45 episodes ago and he weaves it all together. But he's able to do that because the way he's underlining the books and he's got notes around all of them. I don't know how to do that. And I think that goes back to my problem in law school. I didn't know how to take notes. I know how to like read things and it's in my mind somewhere. And I know how to like go down and track it down in my mind and find it. So I can do that with some of these books. Like there's, there's points in these books that I don't 
distinctly, and this is why I like to buy the books, mm-hmm. which drives Rachel nuts because then we just got literally stacks of books all over the house. <laughs> but the reason I like to buy them is because I'm reading something and a, a, something will hit in my brain. And I'll be like, oh my gosh, that's so much like this. And I'll go buy, find the book and then I'll go look at it under, I could go find the page. I can remember those kind of things, but I can't like mark up books in a very good way. And I, I think that it's one of my uh, faults when reading. Like it bothers me. It immensely bothers me that I cannot read a book like David Sinra can read a book. Well, one of the, so when Grant came on, he also likes to read a lot, as yep. do I. And um, he started a OneDrive where he takes notes and like obviously important things from the book he writes down. I have a hard time doing that though because I feel like it takes away from the experience of reading the book. Like I'm immersed in the book. I don't want to stop to pull up my computer to type in this note because to me, like that was what I hated about school was the note taking process. Yes. What you said about focus and just like absorbing the information. I'm the type of guy who. I won't take notes, but I might read a book three times and then have the same amount of information in my head rather than go refer back to my notes. Yes, I'm exactly the same way. So you had mentioned what books, and I, somehow we got down on this tangent of where we're at, but what books would some people like? So if you if you want to read a book about, uh, if you're a gamer in any way, shape, or form and want to read a book about some of the gaming industry, Masters of Doom talks about uh, the founders of Doom. And uh, so that one's a really good one. Michael Lewis's The Undoing Project, that's about uh, Tversky and Kahneman. Danny Kahneman, name is Tversky, uh, economic psychologist, I guess is what I'm going to call them. That's a phenomenal book. It's by Michael Lewis. Michael Lewis obviously wrote Moneyball. Mm-hmm. Moneyball got made into a movie. It's got Brad Pitt in it, so I've watched that one quite a few times. <laughs> um, Splendid in the Vile is the first Winston Churchill-related book I've ever read, and it was so good, and it's kind of got me obsessed with Winston Churchill. It's got me obsessed with him for multiple reasons, but the reason I like to willingly and openly state is because he did his best work in a bathtub, very, very similar to how I feel when I'm reading in a bathtub. So now I have like a famous person I can point to as my bathtub hero. Bathtub hero. This needs to be a running list that we can refer back to. Okay. (laughs) So that one's good. Uh, I'm reading the snowball right now. That is not the Bible. It is the snowball. It's the Bible of Warren Buffett, but it's not the Bible <laughs> on like Christianity. Um, Michael Jordan, The Life. I just recently read that one. It's so good. So good. These other ones are blocked by the, the camera probably, but um, Shoe Dog, Phil Knight. The, so obviously everyone knows Phil Knight. So two things about Phil Knight that I find fascinating. One is that he came up with the whole concept of Nike while he was a student like a graduate level student basically doing his project on this. And then he implemented it and put it into real life. So I I love that. And I also love that when LeBron James recently broke the all-time scoring record, like he's the only dude not entirely absorbed on his phone because he realizes all of these other cameras that are so much better than that little camera on your iPhone and so better positioned, he realized that let them capture the moment. Let me just live and soak it in. And so I think... I don't know. I find Phil Knight very interesting for that reason. And I'm sharing screen now. I'm going to pull up that picture that you're talking about, Rob, because it is crazy when you see every single person except Phil Knight on yeah. the phone. It's also crazy because I think it'll be interesting how many people like know Nike, but and I've heard Phil Knight, but I've never looked at a picture of Phil Knight, and they may be like, "That's Phil Knight." Like some people have that reaction too to it, but I think just the way <laughs> it's just crazy because literally everybody is on their phone. Everybody but. Yeah. Bill Knight. So look, if you're looking at this picture here, again, on YouTube or Spotify, every person has their phone. And then down here is Phil Knight sitting next to LeBron's two sons, and he's just enjoying the moment. 
Right. Literally, look at it. Everyone's hand is like up into this because they're holding their phone. And I ask you, I asked you the other night, like, what are they possibly even going to do with that footage that's just complete garbage because there's going to be hands in front of it? And like, so what are they going to like the picture of them taking the picture is better than what their picture could possibly be. I know, but at least I feel like speaking on behalf of my generation here. Yeah. (laughs) When you have a video of something for yourself. It's a talking point. So, for example, what commonly happens when people my age hang out is like, dude, you won't believe the story. It's the craziest thing happened. I'm like, no, I don't believe that. And you're like, dude, I got this video. And then you pull up the video and it's the talking point. And they're like, holy crap, you were there. Like you were right there. And it, it's like your shared piece of that moment. So this is it, it, this is somewhat of the reason I feel like NFTs were able to do what they I, were I able just, to do. I just thought about NFTs too when I said that. Because like anybody... <laughs> I don't know. It just, yeah, it's empty. I drank it all. Good work, Rob. Um, So anyway, no, I kind of have a question on these. So they're healthier for me, Mm -hmm. but are they giving me, so like this one has caffeine in it. Yeah. So, so that other one we just drank, did it have caffeine? Non-caffeinated. So what's the health benefit of this? So it is 20 grams of protein, 110 calories, zero grams added sugar. So you, it's really the protein that you're drinking it for then. Right. But if you also compare to the Nestle brands and to the other protein, like chocolate milk brands. Oh, yeah. They all got sugar out the wazoo. Yeah. This is a much healthier alternative. Um, it, I don't understand their ultra filtrated skim milk process. Apparently, it makes it healthier. It moves the lactose. I know that. I was going to say it takes it out, which but, probably helps concentrate goodness, uh, I it, would think. I'll add this too. It's keto friendly. No RBSTS. I don't know what that is. But it's also lactose-free, gluten-free, nut-free, soy-free, and kerogen-free. So it's interesting. It's a better-for-you product, which is what has really been interesting to me lately is like looking back at my childhood and like, what are all the things that I ate and drank? And how did I feel afterwards? Well, so this is very interesting because I, I do the same experiment myself. So I used to drink what I called growing up pop. But then when I went to St. Louis, I started calling it soda. I don't know. Yeah. Do you call it soda? It's soda in St. Louis, but it's soda pop up north where I'm from. Okay. So I, I've, I've now like, I call it soda. So now that I'm back in Wichita, I say soda. People look at me like I'm trying to be high affluent and not use the word pop. But anyway, uh, whatever the hell you want to call it, I used to drink probably four or five cans a day. Like I distinctly remember drinking that many cans of soda a day. Were they caffeinated? Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I, no, I, no problem with that. Never did anything. And now I don't buy it at all. I don't drink it at all. My parents still drink it heavily, mm-hmm. like heavily. Um, so it's very interesting to me because I got to believe as more people become health con- health conscious, it, I'm, it's got to have affected those different companies, obviously. And so I know like Cokes try to take in other products, right. Pepsi's try to take in other products. So I understand that. But it's just very interesting to me because it makes me wonder like what goes around comes around, at least in the fashion industry. So is that going to, uh, is soda with, unbelievable amounts of sugar in it going to come back around and be back in like 20 years from now or do you mm. think, like in fact like bell bottoms come and go i i guess i, I, I think it's going to depend on if the people care in in my opinion um once the research comes out because like there's been a long list of things where it's like this was healthy everyone did it and then the research comes out the verdict is no that's not healthy and so now it's got like a tarnished name a bad reputation with it so I feel like if that matters, if health matters to a person, they're not, they're never going to revert back. I don't know though, because so like cigarette smoking, for example, I've got to believe number wise, the amount of people that smoke has gone down in cigarettes, 
but then vaping came in, which is cigarette in a different form. Obviously, now you may be adding in other yeah. elements associated with it, but so I'm wondering, if, are are we going to have? And maybe that's what the energy drink craze is: is soda in a different form? Probably, that, yeah. That became okay. We're willing to do that because it gets us all amped up, and they put all this other stuff in it, supposedly. And it, you know, but now you even see the whole energy drink scene evolving, and mm-hmm. it's it's got to be like a clean energy drink anymore. I don't know. It'd be weird if it did go full cycle and came back with fully sugar loaded products, but I don't. I wouldn't drink that. For the record, uh, Warren Buffett loves his soda pop. Yeah. Uh, I think he started out really hardcore into Pepsi, and then he switched over to Cherry Coke, and now obviously Berkshire has owned stock and Cherry right. Coke and all that. So anyway. Okay, yeah, finish off your uh, book list here. Uh, so I am fascinated by Abraham Lincoln. I'm fascinated by him because I think the image that everyone has of Abraham Lincoln is wrong. Like we all want to think that he was this – demigod type person but he was a real human and he had real struggles and he had depression heavily at times and his wife at times uh his wife could be at, at times really like their their marriage was tumultuous i guess like i was how i would phrase it there was blow-ups at times and stuff like that they they lost a child real young at times and so he ribbed he lived a life that is not the image we all have of him we all think that, and he was not well received when he first was elected at all. Like it wasn't until he was assassinated suddenly that he kind of became the demigod status. But the book I have here is Lincoln, the unknown by Dale Carnegie. Obviously Dale Carnegie had to win friends, influence people. Mm-hmm. He used to have a whole course. Warren Buffett actually took the Dale Carnegie course. The weird thing when I would start reading these books is everything weaves together in a way like that is kind of concerning and scary for me. But anyway, <laughs> Lincoln, the unknown is the best Lincoln book I've ever read because it of the way Dale Carnegie tells the story. So he doesn't cite and footnote. the. And I'm not one of these people when I read one of these books, I'm going and chasing down all the footnotes. That's mm-hmm. not me. But he doesn't cite and footnote. And there are times I've questioned certain elements and I haven't been able to go back and find him anywhere else. So you some question of the it, validity of it. Yeah, some of them. Some of this book may have some facts that are not 100% accurately portrayed. But anyway, Lincoln, the unknown, my favorite Lincoln book. Um, I have lots of Lincoln book. I actually have an entire shelf of just Lincoln books. And then Steve Jobs by Walter Isaacson. Obviously, Walter Isaacson is a a very uh, prolific writer, does some amazing things. The Innovators is another one by by Walter Isaacson. He did one on Isaac on uh, Einstein. Re- Walter Isaacson did one on Einstein. He's done a few other ones. So his books are good. I actually have the Einstein one. I have not read it yet. That's on my coming up list after I get through this tome all about warren buffett um and then the last one is how i built this by guy Raz. obviously we talked about podcasts i love how i built this podcast i listen to it religiously guy Raz did a book where he kind of weaves it all together and i know that so that goes against i guess the four-hour work week theory of you know like there's got to be a story to it but the way guy Raz does it i'm able to digest it so much better than the way tim ferris did there's a part of me that's concerned that tim ferris is going to be upset that i'm bad mouthing him so much but then i just realized Tim Ferriss may never hear this podcast. Like we got, unless you can somehow get it to that level. I I don't see why not. Okay. I mean, do you not have a book right here from the co-founder of Netflix that's autographed by him from being on my podcast? That is true. Oh yeah. I I overlooked that will never work uh, by Mark Randolph, who, you know, everyone thinks Reed Hastings, like when they think Netflix, they think Reed Hastings, but without Mark Randolph, there would be no Netflix. Now I would also say without Reed Hastings, there would probably be no Netflix as we see it too. But the way that book is told, that will never work. 
it, it was a very well-written book and I'm super excited to have an autographed copy. Well, and Mark Randolph, I completely agree. Reed Hastings was definitely necessary. He's done a great job. I think he just stepped down from Netflix. Um, but Mark Randolph kind of got the short end of the Is stick. that why they're doing this whole password lockdown? Because he stepped down? I don't know. And so now everything's going awry because we're doing this whole lockdown. Anyway, I'm going to I'm gonna fact check this. I'm going to see if Reed Hastings did in fact step down. I didn't do that in, in the camera. I mean, into the microphone like you did earlier. And then I realized that's why you're upset with me because you looked over me like, dude, you just screwed it all up. Story of my life. Okay, so you're fact-checking what? Did Reed Hastings... Reed Hastings is stepping down from his role as um, co-CEO of Netflix. So... Yeah, this was as of January 20th. This is new news. Okay. So, so that's relatively recently. Yeah, so that may be why. Yeah. I don't think that's why. I think they, they realize they need to quit allowing everyone to be on one account, but... Well, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm not going to pay for Netflix. <laughs> They're probably going to lose a lot of their users, which like you have to weigh out, okay, how much money are they generating versus our subscriber count is going to go way lower because the amount of counts that we have be way less because people aren't going to pay for it. No, I think their but their theory is, is that people will convert and pay. But I, what I'm saying, I think I don't what think you're they, saying is the viewing, the actual amount of Netflix content created by Netflix viewed on Netflix will likely drop. As well as users, because I don't think that. For yeah, example, but are you? If you're not paying for it, are you really a user? <laughs> I don't think they want. Right, I, I understand it's an arbitrary KPI or you know performance indicator of how many you got this much revenue coming in, billions of dollars of revenue, but you also have I don't know forty million people, let's say, that have an account. Like I have an account, even though I'm on my brother's account, like it's a sub account. So that's still an indicator. Okay. So if I if he starts saying, I got to get my own account, I'm not going to pay for Netflix. I'm laughing because <laughs> your whole theory, though, is that their number of accounts are going to drop. But to me, okay, let their number of accounts drop. I think their number of paying accounts, which is what the business cares about, <laughs> their number of paying accounts is going to go up, I believe. But I think they're going to overestimate how many will convert. I think if they just convert a very, very, very small percentage, they're better off. The question is, is it going to – the real question is, is are we still in the gold rush era? Like, So Netflix came out first in this whole streaming thing. And now, I mean, everybody has their own. There's Peacock. There's Apple TV+. Plus, there's Disney. There's – uh, there's just a ton. What's Hulu? There's HBO Max. Every one of them has their own. So now it's all going to streaming. The question is, is, is should these companies still be subsidizing the cost per a user to get them hooked to then ratchet up the price on them? Very similar to how like all of us who get cable television, we all got hooked with a low entry price. And next thing I know, it's quadrupled but because my credit card information is already put in and there's just natural inertia that I don't want to go against, I stay a, a paying customer of them, even though I could go somewhere else a lot cheaper. So clearly, I think what's starting to happen now with Netflix's decision is they think that period of when they, they need to be hooking people onto Netflix is, is over. And they're now trying to convert over to getting paid customers. Similar to Uber and uh, Lyft for so long, they were just subsidizing their customer costs because it was a... They had all this VC money pouring in, so they had money to be willing to take a loss. Yeah, it was part of their customer Correct. acquisition costs. Exactly. 
So now it's a question of how sticky is the product or Correct. how much friction does it take for them to leave their product and go use someone else's? Like, could I lose Netflix and still have enough to watch? The answer is yes, because there's just enough good content out there other places now that I don't think I need Netflix. I'll, certainly, there are Netflix originals that are only available on Netflix that I like, but I think I'm not getting to all of the series I like anyway now. So the other thing, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I read a lot of books. I also get hooked on like streaming shows like Suits. I get hooked and then I, I do nothing but watch a lot of episodes of Suits. I did that with Yellowstone. I'm currently doing it a little bit with Poker Face. Apple TV has this new one called, I think it's called Shrinking. It's about a, it's about a psychiatrist who is probably stepping over the boundaries with this patients and allowing like one of the patients to come live at his home oh like doing things like this that seems like a clear conflict of interest because he's trying to like he's like screw all these rules i want to see if i can really help these people is kind of the theory behind it so i'm watching that one right now i i finally watched ted lasso um that one took me a while to watch rachel rachel had asked me multiple times to watch and i kept putting it off but it's so good once you start watching so i guess my point is there's enough good content the question is, is if I shut any one of these channels off, am I still happy without it? I think the answer is yeah. What drives me crazy, and I know that it makes sense that it occurred this way, is that when Netflix was the number one streaming platform, it was you could go watch Friends, you could watch Seinfeld, The Hangovers were on there. Yeah. Everything you wanted to watch, The Office, was on Netflix. Now, if you want to watch The Office, you got to go to Peacock. If you want to watch Jack Ryan, you got to go to Amazon. If you want to watch whatever else, like there's so many platforms that now you have to hold multiple subscriptions and it's almost like you're going back to paying for channels like back in the day with cable. Yeah. I mean, cable was the great aggregator, right? They just aggregated all these channels and you paid for certain packages. And then what happened was Netflix kind of broke away from that. Then everything de-aggregates. And so this is undoubtedly going to go in a cycle and then it'll start to we will come back around to the way we kind of traditionally had cable. It'll be in a completely different form, but you're going to start paying for large aggregators at some point. I think we're not there yet, but we're getting closer mm -hmm. Then the whole YouTube TV and what they did on the NFL Sunday ticket. So that that's all fascinating. That all ties back to a book uh, that we both read. I think, I think you read it. Sports junkies rejoice. Oh, that was phenomenal. It's such a good book. But then we read that other book. Remember the other one? I cannot remember the name of the other oh. one. That was all about the, the jock around the clock. Yeah. Jock around the yep. clock. I don't have my phone on me, so I can't like be like fact checking this live. But I think it was called Jack Jock around the. Oh, That's the founding story of ESPN, right? I do have my phone on me. Uh, yes. No, no, no. Uh, wait. Sports junkies rejoice is the story about ESPN. Jock around the clock was about the twenty-four hour radio channel that they were trying to get it going, all about sports bef before ESPN. I thought it was after. I thought it was the founders left and went and did that. Let's look at it. All right, Rob's going to fact check this. It's either before or after. But anyway, it made it made me question like, so it made me question some of the things I guess I had read in Sports Junkies Rejoice because Sports Junkies Rejoice was obviously written from the point of view of one of the Rasmussen's, I think it was Bill, right? Yes, Bill, Bill Scott. Yeah, so yeah. like, so obviously he has his own point of view and he's going to put that in a very favorable light because he built ESPN. I mean, he built it and then was quickly kind of run out, I guess is, is a fair way of putting it. You know, it's crazy. ESPN, their flagship show sports center, you know, 24 seven sports is kind of what they became famous for would have never existed if they did not get a 
capital infusion or investment from an oil company. Getty Oil. From an yeah. oil company. And doesn't Getty, uh, man, something in my head tells me somehow Getty Oil ties back to Carnegie. I don't know that. Like, because remember they made him, they, when they were doing all the trust busting. You talk about that, I'll look this up. Well, the, we're going to go too far down a rabbit hole here. I don't think we should go this far. Um, Jock around the clock. Oh, so yeah, they had been forced out of ESPN and they went on to Enterprise Radio. But you start to read things about Jock around the clock, like the book, and you start to question, you question a lot of things. So you question, okay, was the success of ESPN in spite of like the whole way it was all run because clearly based on jock around the clock, the point of view you get is they weren't, they weren't fantastic business operators necessarily. They were, they were kind of rough. <laughs> yeah. So, but that always, something you and I always talk about is what, what makes a successful entrepreneur or a successful founder. And I think we all have this notion or this myth that they run at a hundred percent. Like what makes it is someone who runs your phone's vibrating and is driving me nuts. Uh, it, it makes it a it makes it a hundred. I know you didn't even know, but like I heard it in my head. Um, is that they expect everyone to be operating a hundred percent efficiency, and that that's how what makes a successful startup. When in reality, that's just not that's not true at all. Like all successful startups, I think, do not operate at a hundred percent efficiency. I mean, if you're operating like sixty percent efficiency in some cases, that's good enough. And if you try to operate a hundred percent efficiency what you end up doing is just you don't do anything because you're so afraid to take a move because you're afraid it's going to be the wrong move and then you just end up sitting there and then arguably the fact that you haven't taken a move becomes the wrong move by your delay. So I don't know. It's just that book though has me thinking and has constantly had me thinking of what does it take to really be a good founder? And I think it just takes someone who's willing to execute and operate, but they can't be completely, I mean, you have to have some element of being able to be business savvy, I think, and, and like some element of organization. You just don't have to be the best at it by any means. Well, but if, if you're technical, you just need a teammate or a co-founder. Correct. Or you need to realize your weaknesses and mm -hmm. be willing to like swallow that and go get somebody to come along and help. I think that's another thing. Everyone wants to be the quote unquote solopreneur. Uh, and it just, it rarely, if ever works out quite that way. I mean, even, even, who, in my opinion, another controversial take, Elon Musk is the best living entrepreneur in my mind. So some people don't like Elon. Some people think he's a little edgy or pushy. But to me, he is the the best living entrepreneur. I even put him above Steve Jobs, which I know some people are like, oh, my God, that's sacrilegious. But Steve Jobs isn't living anymore, obviously. So I mean, so you just count him out because he's dead? Well, no, to to make to avoid that <laughs> debate, which I think Elon Musk wins that debate. But to avoid the debate entirely, I go with best living entrepreneur is Elon Musk. You The amount of times that you and I have been on the phone – some random night. Not with Elon Musk. <laughs> no, some some random night debating Steve Jobs versus Elon Musk because we both read biographies. We both read the Steve Jobs by Walter Isaacson biography. We both read the Elon Musk. Uh, who was that? I was a girl, I think. Who wrote yeah, it. yeah, yeah. But anyways, I always take the Steve Jobs side because of what he did with Apple to Pixar, and he was non-technical. So that's kind of what resonates with me and how he was able to play the orchestra. Whereas I feel like Elon sometimes gets his hands too far in the mess of having to solve the technical problems, and that doesn't allow him to focus on the vision as much. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the podcasts we listen to, I think, I, I know I listen to the All In podcast. Yeah. I think if you listen to some episodes, they, they, they're they obviously like Shamath Palahapatiya, David Sachs, who was part of the original PayPal Mafia. There's Jason Calcanis, who is somehow tied in with 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 David Sachs and with 
Elon Musk. And then there's uh, the Sultan of Science. What's his name? I always forget his name. Oh, there's the last. You said, you said Chamath. You said J. Cal. And... Oh, David Freeberg. Yeah, Freeberg. So anyway, uh, Freeberg is the last one. So we, you know, we listen to them. And when I, Chamath is the one who always pushes on Elon being involved in Twitter. He's always like, Elon is too damn smart for him to be <laughs> worrying about some social media platform. Now, Elon doesn't look at Twitter as a social media platform. It is a social media platform. Not that I'm trying to speak for Elon Musk, but I think he looks at it as a greater challenge to freedom of speech and so he's trying to help in his mind navigate that which he thinks elon when elon does something he does it for a greater good purpose so he may do some things that people think are childish antics in the process but he's really doing it for a greater good purpose when he takes over these companies or when he runs these companies and so for twitter i think his greater good purpose is he believes freedom of speech is something that we have to solve as a nation and as a world or it's going to devolve into chaos. I mean, if you look at SpaceX, it's furthering humanity. Correct. He wants to be multiplanetary. Multiplanetary. If you look at um, Tesla, it's clean energy. Climate, yeah, climate cli change. Climate yeah. change. And then if you look at Twitter, it's the free speech debate. Correct. Each one of them, enormously broad topics. But I guess Shamas' point is, man, I would much rather him continue to focus on climate change and things like that because, you know, Shamas obviously believes heavily in climate change needs to be an issue that's addressed soon. Rob, I think we need to start to wrap up because okay. you made a note to me earlier that if we go too long, Rachel's going to be upset. Yeah, because we're going to Costco afterwards. Right. Probably going to get some super coffee. <laughs> okay. Out. I want to ask you, how did you like the, uh, what flavor is that? The, the, the vanilla latte? Yeah. From Slate. So it's very interesting because now... Yeah, juxtapose the two that you mm -hmm. had. But, well, let me juxtapose, because it's a fancy word, vanilla latte slate with vanilla latte super coffee. Oh, okay. All right. And I got to tell you, I think I'm leaning towards slate a little bit. Um, really? Not that we should probably be you know, comparing the two directly, but I think I'm leaning towards slate. Hey, man, this is a real conversation. This is your take. I want to hear it. So here's why I'm leaning towards slate. 100% I'm leaning towards Slate. If they're both sitting on the shelf and they cost the exact same amount of money, I'm going to grab Slate every time at this point. Um, wow, well, after after one drink, you're that bold. Yeah, because I, so I've kind of been hooked on the Super Coffee, and I like it. It's not a bad product. I really like it. But it is a little chalky to me, like a lot of protein things are. I would be curious to know, do we know how much protein is in I, yeah, I Super know, Coffee? I don't know. There's 20 grams in protein. And slate, but anyway, slate comes across much more clean as just a creamy milk with not the the uh, chalky aftertaste in any way, shape, or form. Not that Super Coffee has a terribly bad chalky aftertaste, but there there is an element of that. So to further juxtapose the two a little bit, uh, Super Coffee has ten grams of protein, so it's less protein, but they have zero grams at that same. They have seventy calories, so it's less calories as well. How many? How much caffeine in that? Uh, higher caffeine content, I want to say. I'm pulling up the actual one. Slate has 175 milligrams of caffeine. Here we go. It has. Is it milligrams or megagram? It's milligrams, right? Uh, yeah, it's gonna be 200 grams milligram. 200 milligrams is what. Okay, so it's add a little more caffeine. Yeah. So I'll be honest. They use MCT oil as well. And they're both keto friendly. Okay. I, if, again, if I had it all sitting in front of me, which one I'd buy, I'd buy, I would buy, uh, 
I would buy the slate vanilla latte over the super coffee vanilla latte. Interesting. But I did like super, I had one of super coffee cinnamon roll super coffees and that one was good. So they have a, I'm kind of locked because I'm going to Costco and I'm buying it from there. So I'm locked into the flavors that Costco has. Well, and I know that you don't want to purchase them online, but they have the strawberry donut and I've just heard great things about it. Um, I, I feel like this comes across as ads. So I want to say for like the hundredth million time, we're not getting paid to talk about either of these. It's just companies that I've interviewed and found interesting that I want to share with my guests. Yeah, no, I think, and I'm, I'm telling you right now, I would lean slate. Okay. I'm team slate. Get me, if you can get me a shirt, <laughs> Lord knows I don't buy anything. I want to, I want all free shirts. Yeah. He's wearing venture mentality right now. Yeah. This was a free one that you gave me. No, I think you paid for that actually. Because you paid for one piece out of how many ever I've given you. And I think that was the one. Okay. And shout out to my mom. My mom actually made that. Oh yeah. So great work, mom. Hopefully you're listening to this. Okay. All right. So wrapping it up. Yes. Two more things. Uh, Second to last, where can people find you if they want to connect, learn more, get yeah. book recommendations? So I think the best place to find me is anybody can email me. Uh, I respond to emails. So predominantly my email I use is just my work email. If you if you look it up, rob.gerlock at wichita.edu or um, LinkedIn. I'm, I have a presence on LinkedIn. I haven't been posting as much as I should or would like to. Um, slack I need it. to get back on my LinkedIn game. So that's the best place to find me online. I do not have a Facebook. I do not have an Instagram. I do have a Twitter, but I don't like actively. I, I just have a Twitter to really? follow my Cincinnati Bengals. Really? I'm a diehard Bengals. So I, I, I have uh, my Twitter to follow what people are saying about Joe Burr. <laughs> Basically is it. Okay. Last question. Rob, looking back at your entire journey, if you could go back to yourself as you're about to graduate Wichita State and you were a little bit confused, what advice would you offer still, yourself? Still a little bit confused. Um if I went back to myself, one thing I kicked myself a little bit on is I didn't take enough risk in undergrad. I didn't do enough. I didn't take advantage of the fact that I didn't have bills really. And I didn't have a family and I didn't have a lot of these things that, you know, kind of tie you down a little bit in what freedoms you have. So I really wish I had been more active and involved with other entrepreneurial people and maybe explored starting a business back then, because it's just harder for me to explore that now with where I'm at in my life. 